And um, so we're excited to share the Word of God with you this morning because we believe that whenever the Word of God is preached, power is released. The power of the cross is released. And so I really want you guys to, to zone in and to, to open up those spiritual ears and let's hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today as we remember our King, as we remember what He had done for us on the cross, as we remember the significance of this sacrifice, what has it given us in terms of a new life, in terms of eternal life. And um, yeah, I'm so excited to be sharing the Word of God this morning. And so the thought that I want to leave with you this morning, that, or the sort of theme of what we want to talk about, is the lifestyle of the cross. The lifestyle of the cross. Now, as I was spending time in the Word over the last few weeks, just reading through, you know, Jesus' crucifixion, um, Johannes has been doing great devotionals online about the week leading up to Good Friday, the week leading up to Jesus sacrificing His life. Everything that He went through, everything that He did, everything that He said, I believe had, had real great significance. And I think every year when we go through this, when we are reminded um, it's very good to listen with new ears, amen, so we can hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And as I was reading, I was, I was just going through the whole journey of Jesus on the way to Calvary, on the way to the cross. And so just to set the scene, so we know Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he was led away to the high priest. And when he got to the high priest, they were trying to find a testimony against him. They were trying to find something that they could nail him with because the reality is that they didn't have anything proper um, for him to actually be arrested. And so they gave a false testimony against him and they pushed him towards revealing who he was. They kept pushing, um, you know, are you the king of the Jews? And eventually Jesus said that they will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when he said that, they accused him of blasphemy. And that was their reason, and they started spitting on him, the Bible said. They blindfolded him, and they started beating him. And then he had to face Pilate, because Pilate was the only one that was actually in a position of authority to pronounce a legal sentence on him as a prisoner. And so we know that Pilate believed that Jesus was innocent, but he couldn't, he couldn't kind of stand up against the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And so he said, I'm washing my hands in innocence. And the blood of this man is on your hands. And so I just find it interesting that he was washing his hands. And, um, you know, I want to encourage us in this season when we wash our hands, let's remember what Jesus, an innocent man, did for us on the cross. Let's always be reminded of that. I think we should always keep that in the center of our hearts. And so the soldiers then led Jesus away. And they clothed him with purple, which we know is a royal color, um, fit for a king. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they began mocking him, calling him the king of the Jews. And they scourged him. Now, scourging was extremely painful torture. And so when, when we read through the Bible and we do some history on, you know, how the Romans actually treated, Roman soldiers treated their prisoners, we know that a victim was stripped complete, completely bare. So it was also not just a torture, extreme torture, but it was also very, very humiliating. And so they stripped him, they tied him to a whipping post, and there he was beaten severely and mercilessly he was whipped. Now those whips, I don't know, those of you who have seen Passion for Christ, the movie, 
um, that's probably the closest depiction that I think I've seen, you know, physically of just what happened to those um, prisoners, what happened to Jesus when he was whipped. And those, those whip acts, whips had those uh, leather kind of uh, strips attached to it. I guess you call it strips. And then it had little pieces of metal at the end. And so as they were whipping him, whipping him on his back, it would actually take pieces of his flesh from his back. So this was an extremely painful and humiliating torture of a prisoner. And so, you know, they were whipping Jesus. Um, and if you do some research on it, most prisoners actually didn't survive. That's that part of their sentence, if you will. And so it's from this place that we pick up in the word in Mark 15, verse 21. You can turn there or scroll there. Mark 15, 21. And it says that Jesus was led there by the soldiers from Jerusalem to Calvary. Now in verse 21, Mark says the following. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And some of the other translations actually said that they forced Simon to carry Jesus' cross. And you know, I was always wondering, I always kind of read over this little part, but I really wanted, I asked the Holy Spirit to really show me, Lord, what is it that I maybe have been missing as I've been journeying with the Lord for the last couple of years in terms of, you know, what did this actually mean? And I find it interesting that none of the other Gospels, or actually three of the four Gospels, mention this guy, Simon. Only John was um, the one that wrote that Jesus um, bared his own cross. And so I did some research and I thought, well, why? You know, everything in the Bible is there for a reason. And I thought to myself, why is this guy Simon mentioned in three of the Gospels? But we don't know anything else about him. There's some scriptures that speak about, like this one, Mark 15, that says he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And some scholars believe that this is the same Alexander and Rufus that was spoken about in Acts, who were presumed to be leaders of the early church. So could it have been that this Simon actually had such a profound encounter with Jesus that that actually led to the salvation of his family? We don't know. They were very common names in that age. But the point is this, is that I thought it was very interesting that they named this guy, the, the person who was actually on his way to work. In other words, he was actually from an outside village of Serene, and he was walking towards Jerusalem. And so this guy just had an ordinary day. He was walking to work, and suddenly he encountered Jesus. And the Roman soldiers of that day had the authority to just force anyone to do what they wanted them to do. And they stopped him, interrupted his day, and they said, you carry Jesus' cross. And this whole time, the words, carry the cross, carry the cross, just keeps ringing in my mind. And I'm like, Lord, what, what are you wanting to say to us? What does that mean for us today? And, you know, I was reminded as I was reading um, Luke this week, in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said the following. He was talking to his disciples and he said, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I thought, this is it. Jesus said to them, 
as, you, as my disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you have to carry your cross. Just like Simon was just going a normal day, he was walking towards work, towards Jerusalem, he encountered Jesus and he had to turn around, carry his cross and walk behind Jesus, following him all the way to the cross. And I just thought, wow, I've never read over that and thought about this idea of, you know, Jesus told us, he told his disciples in the word that we also have to carry our cross. But what does that actually mean? What does that mean for us today? What does Jesus mean when he said, you must take up your cross daily? Does it mean that we also now must be crucified? Absolutely not. You know, Jesus, Jesus sacrificed his life so that we don't have to. Amen. We know that this is the good news of the gospel. Okay, if you've ever wondered why is this a good Friday? Why is the gospel good news? If Jesus died, why is this good news? Well, number one, I believe firstly, because Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross, he paid the price that was supposed to be something that we had to do. Because remember the Bible said that we were all born as sinners. We were all born into sin, but we can all receive his grace and his mercy and his love because of the sacrifice that he took in our place. Remember the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So there had to be a death, there had to be a punishment. And Jesus said, because I love them so much, the Father said, because I love the world so much, I sent my Son so that we could have eternal life. And so I just believe that is so powerful. That's the good news of the gospel. We didn't have to die on the cross. Jesus came to be that sacrifice for us. He was the lamb that was slain for you and for me, so we didn't have to. But then, after we receive and we believe that he died for us on the cross and that God rose him again after the third day, and through that we receive his healing, we receive redemption, we receive reconciliation back to the Father, because that's what sin did. Sin separated us from the Father. And so that spiritual death through Jesus dying, that, that curtain was torn. And so now we are reconciled with the Father again. And now that we've received that life, we were born into the kingdom of God again. If we receive what Jesus did on the cross for us, now we can live in wholeness. We can live in freedom. But that's not where it ends. Our life doesn't end after, you know, we've accepted Jesus. It actually only begins because that's the second point. And this is what I believe Jesus wants to remind us of this morning is that after we are born again, he still says, now your discipleship journey starts. Okay, now we have to take up our cross daily. It doesn't mean physically we have to go and die again. It means we have to deny ourselves. We have to die in ourselves. We have to die to our own will, to our own thoughts, to our own you know, needs and wants and fleshly desires. And we have to take up Jesus' will for our lives. We have to follow him we have to see where he wants to lead us. That's the way of kingdom living. Amen. Amen. That's the way of kingdom living. And so Jesus said to his followers, you have to deny yourself. So what is, he, what is he actually, when we get down and practical to it, what does that mean? And I believe the fundamental thing that he's teaching them here is that Amen. they have to now, yes, they are born into the kingdom, but now every day becomes a choice. 
Every day becomes a choice whether I'm going to choose the way of the world. Yes, I am saved. But am I going to choose the way of the world in my marriage, in my finances, in my relationships, in my business, in my ministry, in every area of my life? Or am I going to choose the kingdom? Remember Jesus spoke about the kingdom and he said the kingdom is upside down from the world. The kingdom is different to the kingdom of the world. And so I believe that is what he means with denying ourselves. It means we have a daily choice between the world and the kingdom. Now, just before all of these events took place, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, Johannes did a great devotional on that the other night called Palm Sunday. You can have a look at it on YouTube and on Facebook. But so Jesus entered and it was the feast of the Passover. And so many people came from different towns and different places to come to this feast. And among them were a lot of Greeks. And the Greeks were actually wanting to see Jesus. They came up to the disciples and they said, hey, we want to see Jesus. Because remember, many people have heard about Jesus. They've, they've heard about the miracles. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, he was famous. And so many, many people gathered in the crowd to come and see Jesus. But listen what happened when the Greeks said, hey, we want to see Jesus. In John 12, verse 23 to, 23 to 26, it says the following. Um, so his disciples come up to him and said, hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus said to them, and it was actually very surprising, I think, to them. He said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And most assuredly, assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And so I love this. Here Jesus comes again with an analogy, with a parable of agriculture, because that's something that they understood in those times. And he comes with this analogy of a grain of wheat. And he says, unless this grain of wheat dies... It cannot produce new life. And so that to me is just profound because what Jesus is actually saying is a grain of wheat contained in itself the germs of life. Okay, so in order for this, if you can imagine a little grain, I should actually have a little grain. Um, this single grain, in order for it to produce a stalk or an ear of a piece of corn, it actually has to fall into the soil, it has to be buried underneath the soil, and it has to die under the ground. Amen? And so its death is actually the true life, because death releases an inner life power. Hear me with your spiritual ears this morning. It's producing an inner life power to multiply itself into successive grains that would clothe a whole field with a harvest of much fruit of grain. Isn't that amazing? And so what is Jesus actually saying? He's saying that he is the grain of wheat and inside of him was this life-giving power that had to die first in order for it to multiply and to give life to many. And so I believe why it is so significant is also because remember all the people that came together thought that Jesus was the Messiah for the Jewish people. 
But Jesus was actually saying that actually, no, 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 I'm dying to give life to all people, to all nations, including those Greeks who wanted to go and see him. The gospel is not just for one nation or for one race or for one tribe or one tongue. It is for all nations, all tribes and all tongues. And he died to give all of us new life. He had to die. It had to be buried and die underground in order to produce new life. Amen. And I believe it's the same in our spiritual lives. Without death, there cannot be new life. Because isn't that what also happens when we give our life to the Lord? Our old man dies. And the new man in Christ. The Bible says we are crucified with Christ. So that happens in the spiritual realm. Okay. That's why it's so significant. That's why Jesus can say, take up your cross daily. Jesus laid down his life so that through his death, we could have life. So we said, when we accept Jesus, we die to our old self. Sin separated us from the Father, but through Jesus' sacrifice, we are considered righteous. Our fellowship is restored and we have a new life. We become alive in the Spirit. Because that's what Jesus explained to Nicodemus as well. He said to them, in order for you to enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If we are in Christ, behold, we are a new creation. We are a new grain of wheat that has grown from the death of Jesus. Romans 6 verse 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Him. Amen? So that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. Come on, that is good news this morning. Amen. 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 So then as a new creation, Jesus calls us to a journey of discipleship. He calls us to a journey of laying down our lives, just like he did. Jesus was never into self-ambition. Jesus wasn't here for himself. He wasn't here for any selfish reason. He was here to lay his life down for you and for me. Amen. So I believe Jesus should not, should not just be a resident in our life. He should be the president. Amen. Amen. I can't even claim that. Someone said that I don't know who, but I think that's good. Is Jesus just a resident or is he the president in your life? Because Jesus needs to be Lord over every area in our lives. If we want to see his will established for our lives, if we want to see the purposes of God outlived for our lives. And I really believe that we are in a season now where the Lord is taking us deeper in intimacy with him. He's taking us closer. He's saying, yes, remember the sacrifice that I, that I did for you. And now that you know the new life that is available to you, are you going to make a decision to make me Lord, to carry your cross every day, to deny yourself and to follow my will for your life? Or are you going to be safe but live in the world and live like the world? I believe that's the question for us this morning. We need to surrender our will, our plans, our desires for His will, His plans, and His desires because God has got a purpose for your life this morning. And maybe you've never heard anyone tell you this. I remember for me, it was life-changing when I heard a pastor preach in a sermon and he spoke about Jeremiah 29, 11, and he said, God has got a purpose for your life. You are not here by accident. You are not here just for something random. You are here because Jesus has a purpose for your life. 
And the only way to find out what that is, is to surrender. To receive what Jesus had done for you. To receive that life that he wants to give you. And to deny yourself to follow his plan and his purposes. And so we might feel, this might be hard. We might feel that this is a sacrifice for many areas in our life. Maybe it's our finances. What does it mean when Jesus is Lord over our finances? What does it mean when Jesus is Lord in our marriage? You know, it may feel like a sacrifice, those daily choices, choosing the kingdom over the world. That constant battle we have between the world and the kingdom. But the glory and the reward of it is so much more worth it. When we lay down our lives, that's when we actually find it. Amen. And so I want to remind us this morning, church, we have been called to a great commission. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 says, Go and make disciples of all the nations. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. Always. So Jesus first was our example. He laid down his life. He denied his own will. He said to the Father, Lord, if this cup can be taken, take it away. But nevertheless, your will be done. And so we pray that, but I pray that we prayed with new meaning in this season, that we really use this time to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and show us which areas in our lives, and there might be something for all of us, just maybe one area in our heart or in our life that's maybe not yet aligned with God's will or with God's plans, maybe just an area that we haven't surrendered fully to the Lord. We want to encourage you this morning as we remember, as we take communion shortly, Ask the Lord what that is and ask Him to come in this season and to realign us because we really believe that this is a season where God is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Revival is upon our doorstep, but it starts with you and it starts with me. It starts with us. It starts with us completely laying our lives down and saying, yes, Jesus, your will be done. Your kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I, I, I just want to end uh, this short word this morning before Johannes leads us in communion. And I want to ask you, whether you might be at home, there might be people around you, um, or you might be alone at home, whatever your circumstances are, just know that the Holy Spirit is with you. Okay, friends, so that is the word that I felt that the Lord wanted to speak to us today. To remember that we have been bought at a great price. And that blood was shed for us on the cross so that we can have a new life. Jesus died so we could have new life. And so I just want to pray for two groups of people this morning. I want to pray first of all for those of you who maybe you're sitting there and you, you heard this message. Maybe you've heard the gospel before but you, didn't, you just didn't understand or you just wasn't sure. You weren't sure what to do next. Or maybe you have never heard the gospel. You've never heard that Jesus actually died for you and you were included in this group. And so if you are sitting there this morning, then I really want to pray with you. If you feel and you know that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've never ever given him an opportunity to come inside of you, come inside of your heart and be the Lord of your life. You've always wondered whether your life has purpose, but you've never figured out how to get to that purpose. 
then I just really want to pray with you this morning. And if you are at home and, and you've got your family around you and you're part of our church community um, or you are a believer at the moment, then I want to encourage you, pray with us. Pray for those people this morning who are making a life-changing decision to get the gift of eternal life and to surrender their lives so that Jesus can show them what their purpose is and why they were born. And so why don't you, if that is you, I just want to pray with you this morning. You can just repeat after me. Say just, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you took my penalty. You died for me on that cross. You became sin for me. You were beaten and bruised for my sin. But I thank you that your blood that was shed can wash me clean. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. And that I can now be a child of God in the kingdom. I surrender my life to you. I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. And I receive your love for me. Thank you for reconciling me with God the Father. And I ask that you will now baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Open up my spiritual eyes and ears so I can see you. And teach me how to hear your voice, Lord. I am now a brand new creation. And thank you, Lord, that you will show me my purpose in life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I just want to end with this second thought before I give over to Johannes as we come around communion this morning. If you are a believer and you heard this message this morning and the Holy Spirit prompted or showed you an area in your life that is not fully under the, the surrender and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, whether it be a relationship or your marriage or finances or a business or ministry, whatever it is, I just want to encourage you this morning as we end this broadcast and as you go into Easter weekend and, and spend time with the Lord and spend time with the Holy Spirit in this lockdown time, just continue to surrender every part of your heart to Him. It may feel like a sacrifice now, but like we said, the glory that is ahead as Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was ahead of Him. There is no other purpose under the sun of why we are here than for the Great Commission. So we just want to encourage you. And if you need prayer in any area, then we want to be here for you. And you can just send us a message on the chat. And it's very important that that you take a practical next step to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come and be a part of our church if you're here in Vinduk or, you know, there's many other churches. Go find a local church in your area and just make yourself accountable to, to a church where you can learn and you can grow and you can, you know, be around people who can help you in your journey and in your discipleship um, with Jesus Christ. And, um, yeah, we love you and bless you.